0: Welcome to Won't You Be My Rabbi? I am your host, Laura S. Lebo. What does the S stand for? Well, that's for me to know and you to find out. This is a show, nay, a podcast where I chat with rabbis and they teach me about the various Jewish religious denominations so I can see, is there some piece of Judaism that can help me get through life? Ultimately, I think that is what my quest has been about. A few of the rabbis asked me um, what I was looking for, why I was talking to all of them. They usually asked me that when they were trying to dodge a question themselves. Uh, and the answer is, I spoke to these rabbis in part because, you know, it's, it's a fun project, it's work. But honestly, another big reason is that life is so hard. I've always found life hard. I love life. I love living. I enjoy my life and I've, I've enjoyed it much more since I got sober, but I am tired. I am tired. I was talking to a friend the other day about the idea of reincarnation and past life regressions. Um. Yes, my friends are witches and heathens. And my friend was like, I hope I get reincarnated. And honestly, just the prospect of that to me sounds so unbelievably exhausting. I feel pretty confident that I'm on my thousandth life. I just don't have another full life in me. You know, I don't think I can go another round. Just the idea of finishing this one and then having to start over and do a victory lap. You know, maybe I could do like a short life, but like another full round, you know, another 80 years, a full Anthony Fauci. I It's too much. I'm just, I'm mentally, I'm emotionally, I'm spiritually tired and I work super hard to keep myself afloat and I do a really good job. I'm pretty peaceful for somebody to whom peace does not come easily. But I think in my talking to these rabbis, part of what I was looking for was an answer as to how I can achieve stability and peace without having to work so darn and hard. On this episode of the podcast, I spoke with Rabbi Rachel Cole Feingold, an Orthodox rabbi based in Montreal. Here's what I have to say about Rabbi Rachel. I loved speaking with this rabbi. Rachel did such an incredible job of making me understand a part of Judaism, of Jewish religion, that I understood absolutely nothing about prior to this experience. She made something that always felt really inaccessible feel very accessible. Now, I've been careful to try and avoid spoilers, but I think it's important to note something that she and I spoke about. And the point that stood out to me was about the orthodoxy part of modern orthodoxy. And the reason that it appeals to her is because it functions as a sort of ancient technology to help her live her life and make sense of things. And this is just the particular technology that works for her. I relate to this. I have my own technologies, my own frameworks that help me live my life. Meditation, jokes, psychotherapy, uh, witchcraft. When the moon is at half mast and the otters fly south, I know it's time to change my Brita filter. All of that being said, Rabbi Rachel did point to the fact that she does not have a framework that allows her to officiate an LGBTQ plus wedding. And I'm not cool with that. I'm gonna go on record and say I, I don't like that. The technologies that I employ to help me live my life comfortably don't take precedent over my values, aka LGBTQ plus inclusion. But I also want to make the point that I understand that my you know progressive socialist values come to me quite easily. I grew up with a dad that was uh, essentially a Marxist in his early 20s, a pretty liberal mom. My entire friend group is full of very progressive people. So, I'm excited and impressed by the fact that Rabbi Rachel pushed back on the precedent that was set by her upbringing and community to become the first Orthodox woman to serve as synagogue clergy in Canada. Uh, I loved chatting with Rachel. I thank her for giving me insight into something that I never thought I'd understand. And I really think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation. Here's Rabbi Rachel. I do so we have half an hour and I have been bouncing around with like uh you know getting really personal learning about the specific denomination um and I decided anyways this is all the mechanics behind the scenes that you don't necessarily yeah. have to know about nope, but I am all,
1: but, like but it takes all the time to figure out your approach so yes yes
0: and I I feel like I, it gives me more room to ask more personal questions when I start off by having a good a really good sense of uh, your version of Judaism and your version of, in your case, orthodoxy. So first question is, uh, You are. how do you identify what denomination, under which denomination do you identify?
1: It's, I, it's exciting to be here with you, Laura, and to know that I'm in good company of a diverse group of rabbis. Um, I am a modern orthodox Jew, and modern orthodoxy is a sort of brand of orthodoxy, orthodoxy being the most traditional branch of Judaism, um, a brand of orthodoxy that is at the same time, deeply rooted um, in Jewish tradition and deeply committed to the authority of Jewish law or halacha as we say in Hebrew, and at the same time, deeply committed to modern values and to, embracing everything that comes with that um so i i sometimes think that i you know can pass <laughs> like like uh, any secular person because i'm not wearing anything that is like a noticeably religious garb gotcha however i'm just using this as like a very surface example however i do you know um cover my hair as a married woman as orthodox jews do um i don't wear this is a podcast so now i have to describe to everybody what you're seeing but i don't wear a wig or cover every strand of my hair um, but i'm wearing a hat that i got at. I, I guess i don't know if i can like product placement here but guren brothers super cute which has store around the corner from me when we lived in chicago so i was um in there almost every day buying too many hats (laughs) um so you know it's funny because i once was walking when i in the years i lived in boston actually this was years before i I was married and didn't have anything on my head but i was wearing i guess a long skirt and i um and and i was stopped on the on the street and someone asked me like where's the synagogue is there a synagogue nearby (laughs) and i told them and then i stopped and i i actually asked i was like how did you know I was Jewish? (laughs) And the person actually like just laughed at me. (laughs) (laughs) So there was some sort of signaling I was was sending off in my dress or in my demeanor or in my look or in my race or I don't know what. Something. That read as Jewish, as religious Jewish. Um, So all of that to say I am a modern Orthodox Jew, a rabba, which is a, a a feminized version of the word rabbi. We can get into... The ordination of women that's a fun conversation people like to have with for me. sure um or not because that's a repetitive conversation people like to have with me so we'll see where this goes uh, but i but i also will say that um within modern orthodoxy there's there's really a spectrum of ways in which that threading of the needle uh-huh. between tradition and modernity tends to happen so um there's there's a community that is not a monolithic community and um, the debates that manifest these differences um, come out in areas of LGBTQ inclusion, come out in areas of the role of women. So we could get there if we're interested, but it, it, though, you know, there, there are those who, who would call me maybe, liberal orthodox or I'm holding up like, like the most liberal end of the spectrum of the modern orthodox community yeah. and then there are those a little bit more towards the traditionalist camp who might call themselves um normative orthodox that's already a judgment call on me maybe but there's a spectrum of okay. ways in which we sort of walk the type between okay. uh tradition and modernity that was a long answer to your question perfect I- Yes, I, I will say one more thing along yes. the lines of long answers. Modern orthodoxy lives in complexities. Yes. Um, it, it lives in this tension, uh-huh. uh, which is a space of uh, maybe discomfort um, where, where our values kind of meet and then sometimes clash. And then mm-hmm. we have to um, sort of uh, embrace the conversations and be okay with maybe leaving some questions still brewing.
0: Okay. <laughs> I love it. It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, um, there are so many unanswerable questions. And I think yes. that uh, anyone who uh, says that they can answer any of the more complex questions, maybe you can answer them for now, but that's always mm. the... Uh...
1: I also think that it may, in many ways, it's easier to live in the black and white like, it's easier to say, you know, I'm going to uh-huh. disregard this modern innovation or, yeah. um, you know, or just uh, cloister myself in a community. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's an easy lifestyle and I have friends and relatives who live in a more tr- uh, ultra-Orthodox community and that's a uh-huh. choice, Um but it is uh, a, neater, a neater way of answering these big questions. And you could similarly say the same about maybe more liberal streams. Um, those are maybe clearer answers. Um, we, you know, we make things
0: complicated, which is richness. Yes, it's richness. I think, I, I actually think we've sort of, um, of, humans have evolved to the gray and that you know, I think it was, uh, I hope so. I, I hope so. And I, th- I mean, I think we're heading there. I think for, for a long time, it was evolutionarily sound to have pretty rigid categories so that we didn't get poisoned by certain berries or whatever, you know, whatever we were doing that kept things, uh, neatly categorized. And they were all, you know, a good swath of the world is privileged enough to um, have a lot of our more basic needs taken care of that. Oh, bless you. My dog sneeze. Um, it was a cute that sneeze. it was a really good sneeze. That um, yeah, now we can afford to live in the gray a little bit more, um, and it is a richer life for sure. Um, I I want.
1: However, it's sometimes it's hard for people to wrap their minds around it. So I'll give you a very concrete example. Um, I, as a member of the clergy, as a, a an officiant of weddings in Quebec, right? I can I can officiate a wedding and at the same time there are certain halachic barriers, jewish legal barriers to what i will do as a female. so mm-hmm. i will officiate the wedding, i will read that ketubah, the wedding contract, i will not be a signatory on the ketubah. okay. because that needs to be a shomer shabbat, right, traditional jewish male um, who signs that ketubah. so i always have some, you know, men ready on hand. it sounds it sounds very objectifying <laughs> with men now. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and people have a really hard time wrapping their minds around that. They can't figure out what I am. And they, and they sometimes will ask like, well, why don't you become a reform rabbi or a conservative rabbi? Wouldn't that be simpler? And I uh-huh. say, because I'm not a reformer or a conservative Jew,
0: it's not go. my community,
1: it's not my belief system. It's not, I, I mean, I, I feel like saying some of my best friends are reformed Jews, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah.
0: but it's not who I am on a deep level. Okay. So that's a really interesting point. So, uh, I have a few questions under this sort of category of why modern orthodoxy. One is, you know, you talk about like the relationship between uh, modernity and traditional values or traditional Jewish law. Which, like, maybe this is a hard question to answer, but could you name, give me like the greatest hits of the tra- which specific tenets of traditional modern orthodoxy? Which which part of the traditions mm. are super important to you, or like keep? Uh, make you feel strongly about being an orthodox jew
1: which parts of jewish life keep me committed to oh, traditional judaism or yeah which, yeah or basically i'm yeah, not sure a,
0: help me understand the question so i can i can make sense of the modernity piece of it because i'm not uh, orthodox and i live very much in modernity and so i it's so easy for me to understand why you'd want to officiate an LGBTQ plus wedding or uh, any of the more modern aspects of your lifestyle, essentially the more right. traditional elements. And also just that I'm dense about uh, modern Orthodoxy. I don't, I don't know a lot about it. So like, w- are there any like sort of exciting parts or parts about the traditional if, if, mm-hmm. if, if modernity is pulling you one way, the orthodoxy it. part of modern the orthodoxy, orthodoxy part, yeah. you're asking me about, what, what about that like draws you? What is exciting mm-hmm. about that?
1: Mm-hmm. I, I talk with a lot of people in my role in the synagogue and in my role, just in the world. I talk with a lot of people who are looking for the things that human beings are looking for, meaning purpose, connection, community, um, rootedness. Um, contribution to society, all of these things. Um, I feel I have a system and a language through which to access them. Okay. So it's not a guarantee. I mean, my, one of my pet peeves um, is you know the 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 train of thought that says that sort of preaches if you follow Jewish law, if you follow halacha and Jewish tradition, you will have a beautiful marriage. Well, no, we know lots of very traditional and observant religious Jews who end up getting divorced. It's not a guarantee. This is not a magic potion, but it is a framework or set of tools of ancient technology Uh that is available to me that may be no better than what someone of another religious tradition has access to them. Like, I don't want to be a little bit superior in that way, but this is my tradition and my rootedness. And actually there's a lot that I can utilize to create what we would call Shalom Bayit, right? Peace in the home, peace in the relationship. It's not a guarantee, but these are tools. And I can say the same thing about Shabbat and creating a family unit and a time of restfulness. And I can say the same thing about prayer or meditation. Um, You know, I love my yoga class and I love my meditation that I aspire to daily, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and I also have access to that through prayer and through a system that existed for thousands of years before me. Okay. So it's not um, it's not that those don't exist in modernity, but I feel like the modern of modern orthodoxy is the place where we challenge or push at uh-huh. orthodoxy to meet the needs of the modern world. Okay. And, some of those conversations happen, for example, around um, science and technological innovation right. or new understandings of the human body. There's a great debate in the halakha about the question of um, this is going to sound morbid. I'm going to launch right into medical ethics questions here, but the question of of brain death, of mm-hmm. whether we can consider someone fully dead um. when um, they, they they're they're considered brain dead, but they still have a pulse because they're on maybe a machine that's g- keeping their heart going, right? Yeah. These, these are these are modern questions yeah. that we can now mine the tradition to understand what are the values that were at play when, you know, in the ancient world, they just looked for a pulse. They, they didn't know about right. activity in the same way. Right. Um, and this question, I'll just bring it right into a practical um, sort of outcome This question is at play in the question of whether I can be an organ donor because organ donations generally happen when a person is declared brain dead. Yeah. We want to keep their body going enough to harvest those organs. Right. Hopefully save a life or many lives. As we know, you know, several, I I can't remember the exact number. Is it seven, seven individuals or nine individuals can be saved from one? I don't remember. I don't know. Uh,
0: probably a lot, a good amount, a lot of people, right. Even if it's one, but you
1: know, So, um, the modern orthodox approach, and this isn't Mm -hmm. even like the most liberal of the liberal, like, you know, me, the ultra feminist saying this, but there's, (laughs) there's, there's um, actually a wonderful organization called the halachic organ donor society, Ah. which, which whose mission is to show like, this is within Jewish law. And we have the ability to harvest organs, which, you know, our ancestors didn't, and we have the ability to save lives. And here are, are the halachic answers for why we as modern individuals can embrace organ donation.
0: Okay. Okay. I have so many thoughts. That right was,
1: I, <laughs> that was a lot. That was a lot. Um, but it, it also, another way of saying like what modern orthodoxy believes or, or, yeah. or the world is, um, is the phrase that Really, in the creation of modern orthodoxy in the 20th century, the phrase that was front and center was the phrase in Hebrew "Torah Umada," which means Torah and secular knowledge. Okay. It was the phrase that um, Yeshiva University was founded on, so Yeshiva University mm-hmm. has been the a, a flag, one of the flagship institutions of modern orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because they probably they 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 wouldn't ordain women, right? They wouldn't, I say probably, they certainly wouldn't, they, they, they wouldn't um, uh, hire me for their synagogue. Yes. Right now. That's, that's the tension, right? That's the debate that I'm talking about going on in in areas of gender or in areas of Jewish law. But Torah Umada very much is something that I believe that all modern Orthodox believe, which is that secular wisdom is not a means to an end. It's an end in itself.
0: Okay.
1: That a degree in philosophy is also a, a Jewish approach to the world. Okay. I don't mean even Jewish philosophy. I mean secular, secular right. wisdom, secular, uh, secular law, study of medicine, study of anything that is not Jewish knowledge has a value in and of itself and will enrich our world and will enrich our lives.
0: So it's so funny because I, I have like a million thoughts and questions right now. But the one that the most recent one that just came up and blew all the other ones out of my mind <laughs> okay, is go with that. It's just more of a thought, but just like okay. I think that because I am new to spirituality, I'm new to the, to even considering the pursuit of whatever you want to call it, religion, spirituality. Um, uh, I, I like to pretend, or or I think one of my hopes in the pursuit is to find peace. Mm. Um, and so I have, I have projected onto people who have, uh, who pursue this professionally that they have peace or that they're pursuing peace or that peace is, is like one of the big goals. Mm. And you're telling me, (laughs) I'm not telling you that (laughs) you're not telling me that. And especially within modern orthodoxy and especially within, you know, I think from my understanding, there is a lot of law, like there's a lot of um, study and intellectual curiosity and just mind bending stuff that while it in and of itself, it's not peaceful. Maybe the pursuit of it, is Yes, I think yeah.
1: another way of thinking about it is flow. You know, that idea of being in flow. Yeah. Being in flow is described really in, um, in the productivity world, right? You want to get to flow because you want to be a zone where you can really be creative For and sure. give, give your best self. Yes. Um, and it, it, it doesn't mean it's not complex, but yeah. it feels like you're in alignment with yes. something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting for me to hear you say, like, we're seeking peace when we seek. I think there are other religious faiths that value peace. Yeah. Um, and I don't I don't want to speak for any other faith tradition, but I did a lot of interfaith work, especially in my years in university. And there was a lot of talk around about peacefulness and around tranquility. And Judaism embraces struggle and treasures that Grappling as yeah. holy in itself, and you could right. maybe even be in religious flow. I just made this up right now, talking <laughs> with you. I hadn't thought of flow in this way, but, but I know exactly what you mean. Flow is still maybe sometimes agi- an agitated state, right? Right? I don't know. Yeah. We could come up with a new theory of like the religious seeker, yeah. Because well, would that appeal to you? Like when you say, when, I, I'm I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah, ask me. Like, yeah, what is it that you are looking for? in this quest, right? You've spoken to lots of other rabbis now too. Like, what is it that you're, that you're trying to dig up?
0: So, okay. I I would say more generally speaking, what am I, what am I currently seeking? I I don't know that I have the best answer. I know, I know what I'm not seeking and I know what I'm trying to move away from. And what I'm trying to move away from is, um, you know, some mental health struggles, struggles Mm -hmm. with addiction, struggles Mm -hmm. with bad relationships, um, and struggles with, in the simplest terms, lack of peace. And I've, mm. I have moved away from them. Uh, I'm moving further away from them. But now that's the question. What am I moving towards? Like, what am I trying to pursue? And I think it's funny because um, I, there was this point of time where I was uh, wrestling with the idea of my higher power being learning. That every time I learn, every time I jump in knowledge, I feel really... I don't know. There's a word I'm missing. That's not peaceful. And maybe it's.
1: But are you really alive? Like you feel more engaged or more alive or
0: more. Uh, I'm a, um, I'm alive. I'm present. Or yourself. I, more myself. And this is going to be so you new. Know, Hippie dippy. Whatever.
1: It's all My, good.
0: Myself, but not Laura. Like myself, like mm. whoever sits behind On a soul her, level. On a, on a soul a, level. Something's coming through me. And I don't mm. even have to do as much uh ruminating or intellectual work it's just sort of happening it's less effort it's less effort it it's doesn't make it uncomplicated oh it's, it's totally
1: right it's totally low yeah you know when you mention addiction I can't help but say um there's so much spirituality I had a little bit of experience um in the context of the Jewish organizations that work with addicts. And I don't know if you know of Jack's, the Jewish, yeah. all yeah. Independence and significant others. And the work of Abraham, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Twersky, who um, worked with addicts his whole life. He only just passed away. I want to say last year. Oh,
0: wow. Um, okay. A
1: brilliant, passionate religious leader. Um, and there is a, a sense that spirituality brings freedom or brings um, a sense of, yeah, inner peace or calm. Uh, and that doesn't always have to be peace every day. So some of the things that I tell people in the context of life cycles, for example, which are times of sometimes joy, but also times of stress, Uh Even a, even a happy life cycle, if you know anyone who's been a bridezilla, I hate that stereotype because we don't yeah. have groomzillas, which is really unfair.
0: Yeah.
1: But I'm sure there are groomzillas in the world.
0: Um, and I'm sure if they had to take on what the bridezilla right. has to take on on a day-to-day basis and during right. wedding planning. Have more I will. Like- I have
1: to say, my husband and I have a very egalitarian relationship, and he's Beautiful. the one who cooks. And when we went to the registry, he was like, "Why is it the bridal registry? I'm the one who cares about the pots." <laughs> I was like, yes. oh, "I don't know the difference. Just you know, I buy the waffle that. maker." So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say that when it comes to um, moments of change in in life. Um it could be a wedding, it could be a loss, it could be a transition, it could be someone, you know, uh, facing a new job, a career change. Um religion and ritual in particular, but religion in general, uh-huh. give a scaffold. Yeah. Okay. Like I said before, maybe it's a language, maybe it's a structure.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And the scaffold can be in a number of different ways. Um you know, moving into a new home, a new apartment, a new anything to have the grounding of like affixing a mezuzah to the door and Mm -hmm. having an opportunity to just pause and say, you know, what is the protection that that I hope this home brings me? What is, uh, how do I intentionally create this space? I'm going all Marie Kondo on you now, but like, but, but she also comes from a a different world, but a world of ritual and religion. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's Shintoism that she's coming from. But, but, the, you know, these are the moments where people I think are looking for whatever you might call that higher power. Yeah. And I find that traditional Judaism gives me the deepest um, level of tools because I have yeah. language, right? Uh-huh. It's, it's in the Hebrew, in the original. I uh-huh. have the faithfulness towards the prayer book that has been used, you know, not only um, back, back, thousands of years, but also now currently across the globe, right? we're going horizontally and vertically. I'm pointing. So now (laughs) our listeners can't see, um, uh, uh, gives the deepest level of context. And then I want to add things around it, right? We still want to modernize our wedding ceremony to make it feel personal. Uh Um, but what, what orthodoxy has is that, um, the rootedness that comes from what some might might identify as lack of change, Uh And in modern orthodoxy, we want to change the packaging around it enough for it to feel current and feel modern, even at the same
0: time that we're rooted. Okay. So I'm going to say something now that's like, it, not brutally honest, but just <laughs> super honest. Um, and it's something I've been grappling with for a while now, which is that there's this a, a feeling I get, I want to call it envy, but it's not envy because it and en- envy has negative connotations um mm-hmm. and it's more of just a deep wish that I could have what someone else has that's envy yeah. um
1: yeah
0: but basically <laughs> you, <laughs> you know heavy. you're right. talking about this, this we scaffolding all we all have it. It's normal it's a normal human emotion and I can point mm-hmm. to it and I've had it in the in the rooms like in in AA and a rooms I've mm-hmm. had it with just friends of mine that people who were raised within this scaffolding with people who were brought up on um, yeah scaffolding on on ideas mm-hmm. and and themes and rituals that give you a little bit of a sense of spiritual comfort and purpose and i grew up in a, a very very secular atheist home actually mm-hmm. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do my mom like that my mom my mom was a had some religion but my dad who i was super super tight with very very big atheist and mm-hmm. i think i get this feeling sometimes it's like Um, it means I have to jump all these, I have to jump through all these hoops in my mind. (laughs) There's a lot of prerequisites to get through. Yes. what it is that you feel like other people have that. And for me to be really honest with myself about this gut need recently. And, and, you know, the gut need I think was propelled mostly by my, my addiction, um, but this gut need and this this gut belief in something like I I really mm-hmm. believe in something more. This it's not a, an intellectual mm-hmm. belief; mm-hmm. it's a gut belief. And now I have to jump through all these circles in my mind. Where, for example, um, you know, I've I've said to myself before, like, uh, hu- all, all civilizations, all humans are always um, they, we we all tell stories about something greater than ourselves about mm-hmm. um, tradi- about rituals and traditions that invoke. Something holy and spiritual. Right, right. The sacred
1: is the way that Emil Durkheim wrote about it, right? The, the sacred. sacred being something at the center or something at the beyond. Something, something at the, the societies, center. Something societies organize around.
0: Yes. I love um,
1: sociology of religion. That was why I majored in religion, not because oh, I was be so a Oh, that sounds so interesting. But I loved that aspect of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and
0: just, just the idea that uh, something intangible and even just mm. like, you know, um, mystical stories and stories about like fantasy, all of this to say that you know, for a while I would say to myself, okay, well, maybe there isn't something greater, like maybe there's not, that's fine. But the fact that humans seek it, isn't that in and of itself kind of holy, like what, I don't know what the scientific explanation for it is. Mm -hmm. Maybe there is, there probably Mm -hmm. is a scientific explanation, but isn't it holy that we all believe in something holy? Like, oh my
1: God, in my mind, I'm doing all the like book recommendations that I want to send you. Oh yeah. Okay. Please.
0: (laughs) Um, and
1: I want to respond in a couple of different ways. And yes, this, really, this is why I went into the study and work in religion, because I love these conversations. So much of the work that I do happens to be around like, planning the, you know, Hanukkah event for our younglings in the synagogue, which is so important, but like, this is my oxygen. So yes. it's- Great, it's so much fun for me. <laughs> awesome. Um, the I want to talk a little bit about the envy piece, okay. but I'm going to get back to that. So make sure I don't forget it. Nobody. And I also want to flag something that's very important in Orthodox Judaism, that uh, may or may not be connected to faith or seeking, which is practice. So what I mean by that is, you know, Jewish law is not focused on belief. We don't really tell you much okay. dogma at all. Right. Um, You know, in Islam, it's like believe in Muhammad or, you know, the prophet and in in Christianity, my belief in this trinity in this way. Um, And in Judaism, I mean, we do have belief in God, but what that God feels like to you is very personal. And within the Jewish tradition, there is some. Um, reference to God in nature. There's some reference to God as you know the Father in heaven. There's reference to God as a monarch. There's reference to God in so many different metaphoric ways because we know at the end of the day they're all metaphors. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of dogma, but we what we agree on is practice, and okay. sometimes. Um, what gets you somewhere is just doing it. And psychologists, I also studied psychology a little bit, and it's, it's, it's also my jam, like along with whatever the, the yoga and the, and the other stuff, yeah. um, psychologists know that it's not that beliefs lead to behaviors. It's that often behaviors lead to beliefs, right? For you sure. just do, you do it and you do it and you do it enough times sure. that something sinks in about it. And it's gonna, you know, a room full of people keeping Shabbat are going to feel lots of different ways about what that Shabbat did for them on that right. day, yeah. Um, so I just want to flag like practice as yes. central focus in Orthodox Judaism, which is why, you know, so many of the belief questions sometimes get stuck. So um, you know, someone who who uh, grows up as a, a, a gay. Orthodox Jew and wonders, like, is there a place for me? Because my practice of this, the way that my house will look, will look different. And can I still believe in this system? Can I still subscribe to this community? Will this community accept me? And, you know, that's where in modern orthodoxy, like, we have to thread that needle really carefully because we want everyone, no matter how God made them, Uh like, God made me that way, right? That's like the first thing that a gay individual needs to remember and recognize. Um, And so if I am this way, then what does the community around me need to do to adjust? What are the limits of Jewish law? Like, I won't officiate a gay wedding, unfortunately. I don't have a mechanism in my halachic framework to do that. Mm -hmm. But if a gay couple comes to me and says, we want to be part of your synagogue, I open arms and welcome them. I give them an aliyah to the Torah. I, you know, have a bris for their child, anything around that that I can do. Yeah. Um, But, but, but the practice sort of sometimes um, can get in the way of people's sort of inner workings. Yeah. Um, But I want to talk about the envy, which is this what you're describing is an envy for structure or for the scaffolding. And that comes with sometimes someone who grows up with that Uh as an envy for choice and for autonomy. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, struggle like uh, I asked myself throughout my early twenties, like, am I doing this just because I've always done it? Am I doing this just because this is my world that I know. Yeah. And, um, and I had to find small ways to, you know, step back, regain my autonomy, and yeah. find, you know, my way of staying in the practice, right? Staying in orthodoxy because because there was so much in it that I could see was beautiful, was meaningful, and so on. Right. But but I still like I crave airplane food that other people <laughs> are eating when yeah, I've got yeah, that yeah. frozen, disgusting kosher dinner. Yeah. In front of me. Like there's a lot of envy. Yeah. From people on my side. Side of the equation uh, because I don't have autonomy. So, yeah, of course, I have autonomy. I can always choose to leave this system, right? As right. Model, but I, I understand I measure that autonomy, but I can't. But there are certain things that I have to say no to if I want to be part of this system.
0: Right. I do understand that. I, I mean, this and there mo- is a sublimating
1: of self to something larger. That's good for us, even if it's yeah. hard.
0: Yeah. I mean, the most trite way of saying this is that the grass is always greener. But I yeah, right, exactly. I, I right. will say, like, the my Jewish guilt is kicking, and now, of course, that my parents raised me in a house full of like, uh, you know, tradition and ritual and Jewish culture and just um. Oh, of course, and Look, and the reason
1: you are doing this podcast, yes, <laughs> yes. yes, and and, and you they treasure me... these conversations, and
0: you treasure a Jewish approach for sure, and and they raised me with with uh, the religion of. Uh, intellectualism and philosophy and all, all kinds of other really enjoyable things so you know shout out to mm-hmm. my parents you guys do great <laughs> um and it's funny i would have never guessed that in my 30s i would all of a sudden be looking for this i could have never at 22 3 4 i could have never ever guessed that i would mm-hmm. be seeking mm-hmm. spirituality but uh
1: mm-hmm.
0: here we are um i we have to wind down unfortunately I but i that. wanted to just ask if there's if you you'd written some notes, if there's anything you like really wanted to get to, I I,
1: I think um, a lot of what I struggle with is the role of the rabbi in in Jewish life, and I think that's because um, the role of the rabbi is shifting and changing, as you know Jews don't always look to a synagogue structure, or Jews are seekers in every, like you're describing, but in every corner of Jewish life. And rabbis are are much more flexible in terms of knowing how to enter this work. In the modern Orthodox community, we sit betwixt and between a lot of different things. And, um, and we treasure that and it's complicated. So, so i'm making i'm asking those same questions that i think lots of modern orthodox jews are asking and lots of jews and non-jews around the world are asking like how do i um, do both right how do i be the 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 creative rabbinic whatever meditation on the top of the hill mm-hmm. rabbi yeah. and stand in the sanctuary with two thousand people on shoshana like how do i speak to jews wherever they're at mm-hmm. And how does Judaism continue to evolve Yeah. even as the core at the center remains steady? So those those are questions that we think are new questions, but yeah. they are as old as Jew- Jewish life. How do we
0: change and how do we stay rooted? Yeah, I mean, and I think those questions will be around uh, forever, hopefully. They're interesting questions. I don't know if the answers will be as satisfying as the questions. We'll see. I think they never are. Yeah. Um okay, thank you so much for chatting with me. I had such an awesome time. Such
1: a pleasure, Laura. Yeah. I would love to be in touch and Absolutely. continue to follow your Jewish journey wherever it may take you. Awesome. Stay in touch.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Won't You Be My Rabbi. There are five episodes in this miniseries. You can hear them all at the cjn.ca slash b my dash rabbi. This show is edited and produced by Michael Freeman. Our music is by the underscore orchestra. I'm comedian Laura Lebo. You can check out my content on YouTube or follow me on Instagram at Laura Lebo to hear about upcoming shows.